Now we see therefore that creation in general consists of three distinct universes. And this is sort of like a summary. The first universe is, is the universe of Ulmatsilus, the world of emanations. This is the universe or the existential plane where the manifestation of God resides. This is where the, where the spheres or the emanations of God reside. This is where one f finds the Shekhinah, the divine glory, the divine presence, the covet of God. Uh, this is where the guise of God exists. Now, this is Ilmatsilos. That's the first distinct universe. The second distinct universe, or the second distinct area of creation, is the universe of spiritual entities. And as I had mentioned, these include the Kuchis Nivdolam, the transcendental forces, the Malochim, or the angels, and the souls, the Nefesh Elyonis Unishamas. And this, these, this area of creation is called Oilem Bria and Oilem Yitzira, and I'm combining them. The world of creation and the world of formation. Both universes contain spiritual entities. The third universe is the universe of physical entities and their associations. In other words, uh, physical bodies, Shadim, because Shadim reside in Oilem uh, therefore, we see that creation can be seen to uh, be comprised of three different areas. Oilem Atsilis, which is the world of God. Oilem Bria and Oilem Yitzira, which is the world of spiritual entities. And Oilem Asiya is the world of the physical universe and all other kinds of associations. Any spiritual entities that exist even in Oilem Asiya, Shadim or whatever. That's the three different areas that comprise creation. Now, <clears throat> it is important to remember that we are well aware of physical things, their characteristics, their attributes and properties. In addition, we can understand the natural laws of the physical universe that define and establish the behaviors and limitations of all physical entities. Spiritual concepts and beings, on the other hand, are outside our realm of experience and therefore we cannot adequately understand or describe them. They're just beyond our experience. We don't really know how to understand them. Therefore, when we speak of spiritual entities and spiritual phenomena or events, we must rely totally and completely on the Masira, on the traditions handed down to us by Chazal, either through Kabbalah, either through the Midrash, either through the Agoda in the Talmud or other Svarim. We must rely on them because spiritual beings or entities, of course, are beyond our experience. We must rely on them for some kind of a description, some kind of a definition of these spiritual beings. <clears throat> I have mentioned that there exists among the spiritual beings in the spiritual universe <laughs> transcendental forces or separate or distinct forces. And I also mentioned that they inhabit Oilem Bria, which of course is next to the world of the Shekhinah, the Divine Presence, or Oilem Atsilus. <clears throat> I also mentioned that the physical universe is inhabited by physical entities that go through or experience physical phenomena or events. 
And I refer to the physical universe as Geshomim, which means, uh, Geshem means physical or material substance. Geshomim, of course, refer to physical or uh, uh, material substances. Now, <clears throat> we may ask, what is the relationship between, between the Koychus Nevdolim, the transcendental forces or the Koychus forces, which are found in Oilem Bria, and the physical entities and phenomena, which of course are found in Oilem Asiya. <clears throat> it is important to know that everything that exists in the physical universe, whether it be an entity or an event or phenomena, has a counterpart in the spiritual universe among the Kirchus Nivdolum of forces. We are now beginning to understand the relationship between forces, Kirchus, and Gishomim and physical entities. Everything that exists in the physical universe, whether it be a thing, a being, or an entity, or whether it be a phenomenon or event, has a counterpart in the spiritual universe among these Kirchus. In other words, there is nothing large or small, even subatomic particles, that is not in some way represented by a koyach. It can be said, actually, that these koyachs, forces, are sort of like a mirror universe to the physical universe. But they exist on a different plane, namely a spiritual plane or a spiritual dimension, which of course is Olympria. What I'm talking about is the concept called counterpart. That Judaism says that the physical universe, all its entities or phenomena, have an exact counterpart in the spiritual universe. And the counterpart in the spiritual universe is the kirchis that I have referred to, those kirchis that reside in Olympria. That's really what they are. They are counterparts to everything that exists in this physical universe. Now, that is the concept called counterpart. The next concept is called linkage. Besides counterparts, which I have mentioned, that the kirchus are counterparts to everything physical, the spiritual universe of kirchus is a mirror universe of Gishomim. Besides this concept of counterpart, there is also a concept of linkage or a concept of connection. And that is that not only is every physical entity or event or phenomena, not only does each one of these things have a counterpart in among the forces, but they are linked, they are connected or they are bound to the kirchus, which are the counterpart, counterparts of the physical entities themselves. So that's a second idea, that every physical entity, every physical phenomenon or event has a counterpart among the forces in the spiritual universe. And the second idea is that every physical entity or event or phenomena is connected to its koyach counterpart. It is connected to that force which is its counterpart. So not only are there two universes, each one mirroring the other, but they are connected and bound to each other. That's the concept of linkage. Now, the third concept of, okay, is the concept of origin and derivation. And that says that the kirchus or the forces 
not only are a counterpart to the physical universe, not only are they linked to the physical universe, but more fundamentally, they are the roots, the shrushim, of all physical entities and events. In other words, everything in the physical universe is a branch, is an outgrowth or result of these forces. Very important idea. In other words, the existence, the essence, in other words, the characteristics, the attributes and properties, the state, the behavior, the natural law and so on, of all entities, physical entities, evolves and emanates from these spiritual koichas, these spiritual forces. In other words, the koichas generate from themselves the entire physical universe. Whatever exists in the physical universe, whether they be entities or phenomena, is a result and a reflection of something that exists among the koichas. The spiritual koichas or forces are the producers and the physical universe is the derivative. These forces were the first things created and they were arranged in various systems and levels. Everything then was made to derive from these spiritual forces. In other words, everything then originates from these forces. Thus all physical beings and all physical events are produced by the forces and they continue to be linked or connected to their pro producing forces, which is in reality their counterparts on a spiritual plane. This then is the relationship between the Kirchus and the Gishamim, between the forces and the physical universe. In other words, everything in the physical universe, whether it be an entity, a being, a thing, or whether it be an event, a process, a phenomenon, all of these things have a counterpart in a spiritual universe. And that spiritual universe is the Koichus in Oilem Brio. That is the mirror universe. Besides the fact that this universe of Koichus forces is a counterpart to the physical universe, there is a direct connection between the physical universe and the spiritual universe of Koichus, which are the counterpart of the physical universe. So they are then connected. Besides that, the spiritual universe of Kochus gives rise to or generates the physical universe. In other words, the Rabbanisham first created the universe of forces, and then he implanted in them the ability to generate from themselves the physical universe. So therefore, it comes out that the spiritual universe of forces is really the producer or the origin of all physical matter every physical event, every physical phenomena. And everything that happens in the physical world is nothing more than a reflection of some koyach, some force that exists in the spiritual world that is the counterpart to that physical thing and is linked. In other words, the koyach is linked to that physical thing. That's a very important idea. This is called the dyadic structure of reality that there are two universes, a physical universe and a spiritual universe, and there is an aspect of the spiritual universe that directly mirrors the physical universe. In the physical universe, it is called physical matter, entities, and so on. In the spiritual universe, these uh, counterparts are called forces, transcendental forces, kuchus nivdolam. This is called the dyadic structure of reality. Now, the Kuchus 
are the upper regions or the upper part of creation. Actually, you can say that they're the inner part of creation because the forces are not up, they are in. It's a different dimension. The Gishamim, the physical universe, we can say is the lower part, the lower domain or dimension, or we can actually say it is the outer part because the physical universe is outer to these, uh, to the uh, koiches which are inner. In any case, the upper part is the koiches, and the lower part, of course, is the gishamim. The upper part is the forces, transcendental forces. The lower part, of course, is the physical universe, the physical world. Now, as I said before, the koiches are connected to the gishamim. Every koyach, every force is connected to its counterpart, physical material or physical substance. In other words, the upper part is connected to the lower part. Now, as I have said, Gishomim are connected to the Koychus. Material substances are linked to the transcendental forces. Therefore, if that is the case, each side can affect or influence the other. Obviously, if the forces are connected to the uh, physical world, if each koyach, each force is connected to a singular physical entity, then obviously they can influence each other. They can affect each other. <clears throat> Thus, if an event occurs in the koyach, and we will see what it's meant by an event, if an event occurs in the force, then its resulting geshem, or physical entity, or physical counterpart, is affected, and vice versa. If an event occurs in the geshem, in the physical entity, then the generating koyach, its spiritual counterpart, is influenced or affected. This is the concept of hashpah, influence, that each universe can influence or affect the other, since they are connected together. This is the concept, as I said, of hashpah or influence. If an event is initiated in the koyach, then that hashpah, is transmitted because of the inherent linkage between the force and its physical counterpart. The hashpah, the influence, is transmitted down to its counterpart, Geshem. The hashpah is directed downwards and is called a hashpah milamailo lemato, which is an important idea. In other words, it is an influence that goes from milmailo, hashpah, an influence that goes milmailo from above, from on high, lemato, to below. If, on the other hand, the event is initiated in a geshem, in a physical entity, then a hashpah, the resulting influence, because you uh, manipulated or uh, did something to the geshem, the physical entity, then the hashpah, the influence, is transmitted because again of the inherent connection between it and its spiritual universe, this hashpah is transmitted upward to its counterpart, koyach, in the spiritual realm of Oilem The hashpah is directed upward and is, and is called a hashpah milamata lamaila, a influence, influence which is directed milamata from below lamaila to on high. 
Thus, influences can occur in two different directions, depending on the locus or the point of the initial event. When either a geshem, a physical substance, or a koyach, a force, receives a hashpah, in other words, if it receives the hashpah, the influence, because an, an event occurred initially in its counterpart, then it changes in exactly the same way its counterpart changed, because there are mirror universes. In other words, it changes in exactly the same way that the source of the hashpah changes, according to its inherent nature and properties. In other words, Geshem, the physical entity, changes like its koyach, its force, that is changed originally. In other words, if the initial event occurs in the koyach, and the koyach changes, then the Geshem also changes. Or reverse, the koyach changes like its Geshem changes originally. If the originating event, or the initially the event occurs in, in, in the... Uh, Geshem, physical entity, then the spiritual counterpart, the force, the koyach counterpart, also changes the same way that the physical entity changes, but obviously it changes in terms of its nature. There's a spiritual change in the force. There's a material change in the entity. A thing can only change in terms of what its inherent nature is. But if you affect one universe, then the other universes it changed the exact same way that the counterpart was changed. But it changes in its inherent nature, and vice versa. This, of course, we see is the concept of the direction of Hashpah. So, so far we see that there exists two universes. One in Oilem Brio, the Koichas, the forces, and one in Oilem Asiya, the physical world, the physical entities with all its phenomena and events. Each one of these universes are connected. A koyach is connected to a geshem. A geshem is connected to a koyach. Because the physical entities or phenomena or events emerge or emanate from the spiritual forces, the transcendental forces. They are connected and bound together. Now, what's a good example of all this? A good example is the is the analogy of robotic arms in a nuclear plant to handle radioactive material. You ever see in a nuclear plant, many times you cannot handle radioactive material, so what they have is robot arms inside a chamber, and you can see into this chamber by a very thick glass, and in your chamber, <clears throat> where you are, there's another robot arm, which is an exact counterpart of the robot arm in the radioactive chamber. <clears throat> and <clears throat> they are linked, they are connected. Each arm is a counterpart of each other. They are linked or connected. And if you move the arm here, then the arm inside the radioactive chamber also moves in the exact way. So that's a classic example of the relationship between the koyach, the force, and the geshem, the, the physical entity. They are like robotic arms. Just like robotic arms in a nuclear plant are counterparts, they are linked, and they both move in the same direction. One influences the other, and you can influence inside, it will influence the outside. You can influence the outside arm, and it will influence the inside arm. Either way, the influence can go either way. <coughs> the same idea between the koyach and its geshem. They are both counterparts. 
<coughs> they are both linked or connected, and influence goes between both. If you influence the Koyach, then the Geshem is also moved or influenced, and if you influence the Geshem, then the Koyach is moved or influenced. Another example is also the uh, idea of marionettes with their crossbar controls. Again, there's a crossbar and this controls the marionette. You have strings that grow, grow from the crossbar to all parts of the marionette. <clears throat> the crossbar is an exact counterpart of the marionette. If you move the crossbar, then the representative or the uh, respective area of the marionette also moves. The crossbar and the marionette have, are both counterparts of each other. They are both linked and there's mutual, mutually influential. They influence each other. If you move the crossbar, then, then the marionette moves. If you move the marionette, then the crossbar moves. These two examples, I think, are the best kind of examples to understand this idea of a spiritual universe actually being a mirror to a physical universe. <coughs> now, <coughs> what is meant by an event in a Koyach or Geshem? Because I had mentioned that <coughs> if there is an initial event in either Koyach or Geshem, then the other counterpart is also influenced. What kind of an event can occur or transpire in a Koyach of force or Geshem? a material uh, or physical entity. <clears throat> well, there are three of them. One is that there can be a transformation of a koyach or a geshem. In other words, you can change either the force or the physical entity. You can actually invade or change the body itself, that substance itself, that entity itself. And what this does, it creates a substance change and it or it creates a change in the properties or the behavior of the object itself. In other words, if you transform the koyach, then you, you create a change in the substance of the geshem, or perhaps in its behavior or properties, because the geshem is a counterpart of the koyach. If you transform the geshem, the physical entity, <clears throat> then you create a change in the substance of the koyach, <clears throat> or you create a change in the behavior, the property of the koyach, because that is a counterpart of the geshem. This is the idea again, of mutually influential entities. So that's one kind of event that you can effect on either the Geshem or the Koyach. The second event is movement, that you can move the Koyach or you can move the Geshem. And what movement does when you uh, perform it in either the Koyach or the Geshem is it creates movement or motion in the counterpart as well as in itself. The third change or the third event that you can uh, induce in either the Koyach or the uh, Geshem is the interaction of the Koyach or Geshem with other Koyches or Geshemem. You can somehow make the Koyach interact with other Koyches or you can make Geshemem interact with other Koyches. And of course, what that does is that it influences its counterpart to also interact with its like members. If you force the Koyach to, inter to interact with other Koyches, then in this world, a physical entity, which is the counterpart of that koyach, will interact with another physical entity, which is the counterpart of the interacting koyach. If vice versa, if you force a geshem, a physical entity, to interact with another physical entity, then you also force a koyach, which is the counterpart of the first physical entity, to interact with the koyach of the second, second uh, uh, entity or koyach.
So therefore, when you, we talk about an event in either a Geshem or a Koyach, we really talk about uh, one of three kinds, either transformation of either Koyach or Geshem, or a movement of Koyach or Geshem, or interaction of Koyach or Geshem. When an event, no matter what kind it be, a transformation event, a movement event, or an interaction event, when any event takes place in a koyach, thereby causing a hashpo, an influence, to be transmitted downward, which we know as a hashpo milamailu lamato, an influence, in di- influence directed from above to below. Uh, in other words, when an event takes place in a koyach, thereby causing a hashpo to be transmitted downward to its corresponding geshem, then this is called is arusu the upper initiation or the upper instigation. That's what it's called. When the event is initiated in the koyach, and as a result is a hashpo milamailulamato, that initial event, that initial instigation is called an is arusu When an event, any kind, whether it be transformation, movement, or interaction, when it occurs in a Geshem, therefore causing a Hashpo or an influence to be transmitted upward, a Hashpo milamato lemailo, to its producing Koyach, then this is called Is Arusa Dilatato, a lower initiation or instigation. Okay? That's important. Is Arusa Dilielo means an upper initiation, and that is when the Koyach goes through an event first. And the lower world is influenced, its Geshem counterpart is influenced, and Isarusa Dilatato is a lower in- initiation, and that is when the physical entity is influenced first, and of course it influences its counterpart Koyach, that is called an Isarusa Dilatato. In other words, an Isarusa means initiation of an event, whether it be of the upper or lower, whether it be of the Geshem or Koyach. In other words, whether the event occurred in a Geshem or Koyach, an upper or lower, the initiation of event is called Isarusa. Now, the, direct, the direction of the Hashpor transmission is determined by the Isarusa point or the locus in the didactic, dyadic structure. In other words, whether there is a Hashpor Milamailo or a Hashpor Milamailo this, of course, is determined by the initiation point or the locus in this dyadic structure, which, of course, is the structure or the relationship between the koyach and the geshem, the force and the physical entity. We may now ask, who causes events of any kind, whether it be transformation, movement, or interaction? Who causes events to occur in the koyach or the geshemim? Who is actually the subject of the action of all these kinds of events? Who initiates or instigates events in either end of this dyadic structure? The answer is the Rabbani Shalom and man. No other entity, no other being can manipulate or control or otherwise act upon this dyadic structure whatsoever. And I will explain what this means. In other words, only the Rabbanu and man 
can actually be the subject of action, can actually initiate an event in this dyadic structure of Koyach and Geshem. Nobody else can do it. Now, when the Rebbe wants to interact with the physical universe, he does not interfere, or, inter, or rather he does not interface with the physical world directly. He manipulates the koichas, which then automatically forces and controls the physical entities and the events or phenomena they go through because of the, the inherent connections they have to the physical universe. In other words, the Rebunashim does not interface or interact with the physical world directly. He rather controls or manipulates the kuchus. He initiates an event in the forces. And this is what directs a hashpor, an influence, from above to below. That is how the Rebunashim interfaces with the physical world, through the kuchus. Thus, the Rabbani Shalom is the subject who initiates action in the form of an event on Kirchus that is ultimately Mashpia, the lower part, or the physical universe. In other words, the Rabbani Shalom can be said to be the operator of the Kirchus, of the forces, through events which he initiates in them, whether they be transformations, movements, or interactions. He actually is the operator of these Kirchus, and that is how he influences the physical world. He does not interface or interact with the physical world directly, but what he does rather is that he manipulates and controls and initiates events in the kirchus, and of course then a, trend, a, 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 a hashpo, an influence is transmitted mili mailo lemato, from above to below. And that is how uh, God interfaces with the physical universe. The events which the Rebbe initiates is any one of the three types mentioned previously, either transformations, movements, and interactions. Now, the Rabbanu Shalom does not deal directly with the Kirchus either. Right now we see that God does not deal directly with the physical universe, but He interacts with the physical universe via the forces which are the counterparts of the physical universe. Now I am saying that God does not even deal directly with the Kirchus either. He is still the subject of the action. He still initiates the event, but he does not deal directly. He does not interact or interface with even the kuchas. Then what does God do? He employs malochim or angels to initiate events in the kuchas. Now, let me explain. Malochim or angels are the servants of the Rabbanu Shlam. They are emissaries or agents that do the Rabbani Shalom's will and carry out his, his commandments, his sivui. Every koyach has a malach or an angel appointed over it and is in direct charge to maintain that koyach, that force, and initiate events in it, in that force. Uh, whatever, whatever that event is, transformation of the koyach, movement of the koyach, or interaction of the koyach. Thus, malochim are the actual operators of the koyach, and in this manner, control, manipulate, and influence the koyach, and thereby the malochim are able to control, manipulate, and influence the entire physical universe. Because he who controls the force, controls the counterpart. Thus, malochim are the intermediaries or instruments of God, of the Rabbanu Shalom, 
And the Rebbe employs them to operate the koichas in order to bring about anything or change in anything or change in the physical world. Thus, every physical entity and phenomena is under the charge of some particular malach. Because every koyach is under the charge of a particular malach. This is what Chazal mean when they say, there is no blade of grass down below that does not have an angel on high that strikes it and tells it to grow. The malach controls and manipulates all the koyachas that make up the blade of grass. And it induces those actions in the grass, grass's koyachas, in other words, it induces those events in the koyachas that have, that are the counterpart, counterparts of the grass. It induces those actions in the koyachas of the grass that makes the grass grow. Thus, a malach striking the grass and telling it to grow really means, what it really means is that it controls the koyach of that particular blade of grass in order to make it grow. That's what Chazal mean. That when it says that a blade of grass uh, has a malach which strikes it and tells it to grow, what it is really saying, that Chazal, is that a blade of grass has a koyach which whereby a malach induces an event that causes the blade of grass to grow. So that's what it means, that the malach strikes it, in other words, he induces an event in the koyach and tells it to grow, he induces an event which causes growth in the koyach and that automatically causes growth in the blade of grass, which is a counterpart to that koyach. <clears throat> now the malachim assigned to be in charge over the world of koyachs receive a divine hashpah. They themselves receive a divine influence, which is a spiritual force which emanates from the Rabbani Shlalom, that both transmit to them the will of God, the order itself. In other words, the order is how and in what direction do the malachim have to manipulate or control the koyach. And they also receive in this divine hashpah, this divine influence from the Rabbani Shlalom himself, <coughs> Uh, the power to do their charge successfully. They then, of course, carry out the Rabbani Shlom's will precisely. In other words, the Rabbani Shlom sends forth a hashpah, a divine force, that carries in it his will, his order, his commandment, and the power to do that commandment precisely. The Malach receives that hashpah, and all of a sudden he has the power and he knows what God, want, God wants. He knows what the order and the will of God is in terms of exactly how to manipulate or control that force. And not only that, but he has the power to control that force. He then controls the force. He initiates an event in that force. And then, which, which then of course produces a hashpah, milamailo from the koyach, lemato to the counterpart, the geshem. And lo and behold, we perceive events in the physical world. Therefore, we can say that the Rabbani Shalom is the initiator of the action. In other words, he is a subject because he issues forth a divine hashpah, a causative spiritual for force that transmits both the command and the power to an instrument or an intermediary, namely the Malach. The Malach is the instrument or the intermediary of God. <clears throat> and this Malach manipulates and controls 
a koyach. By initiating an event in the koyach under his charge. So therefore we can say that the koyach is the immediate object of the action. And of course the initiating of an event in the koyach results in a hashpor being transmitted downward to the Geshem counterpart, a hashpor milamato. So therefore we can say that the Geshem counterpart is the remote object of the action. So therefore the subject is God, the instrument is a malach or an angel, the immediate object of the action is a koyach or transcendental force, and the remote object of the action is the Geshem counterpart of that transcendental force that was controlled by the malach who received his orders from the Rabbani Shlom. So we have a sort of four-part structure. God, the Malach, the Koyach, and the Geshem counterpart. <clears throat> now, when the Rabbani Shlom is a subject or when he initiates the action, in other words, when the locus of control is initiated from on high, then it is called an Isarus of the Lielo, and of course, the hashpor direction is milamaylo lemato. Okay? Important ideas to understand. Now, let us continue. The second initiator of events or the subject or the second subject of action uh, that, that takes place in the dyadic structure of the geshem and the koyach or the koyach and the geshem, depending on how you want to look at it, is man himself. The self or man can actually influence, can initiate an action, can initiate an event in this dyadic structure besides the Rabbani Shalom. The entire physical universe, whether it be an entity or its phenomena, has a koyach as its counterpart, which I have said previously. And therefore we see <clears throat> that this Geshem or physical entity or phenomena can be controlled or influenced by its connecting koyach. The only entity that does not have a koyach counterpart is the self or the nefesh which also resides in Oilem Now we know that the self is linked to the nefesh tachtoino, which is linked to the guf. <clears throat> so the guf has a koyach, because the guf is geshem, the nefesh tachtoina has a koyach, because the nefesh tachtoina is geshem, but the nefesh alyoina, who resides really, or the fundamental self resides in Olim Bria, does not have a koyach counterpart. So therefore, the only entity that, that does not have a koyach counterpart is the self or nefesh alyoina, which also resides in Olim Bria. However, the self, <clears throat> even though it is not connected to a koyach, can still be controlled and manipulated because its actual decisions can be induced in the mind of the self by a koyach which is a counterpart to the decision act itself. And we know that this decision act takes place in the mind of the self. So we see that even though the self itself does not have a koyach counterpart, and therefore does not come under the authority and control of any given koyach, its capacity to decide does have a koyach, and therefore the decision process itself, the act of decision itself, does come under the authority and control of a koyach. Thus the act of decision toward a course of action, 
or movement in a specific in a specific direction can be compelled in the mind of man since the act of decision has a koyach counterpart and is thus under the influence, control, and authority of that koyach, even though the self is not. Thus, indirectly, the self can be compelled and forced to pursue a course of action. So we see an interesting idea, that even though the self has no koyach counterpart, and therefore cannot be controlled or manipulated by a koyach, the aspect <coughs> or the faculty that self has to decide what it wants to do does have a clear counterpart. <clears throat> Therefore, this act of decision, where the self decides what to do, does have a clear counterpart, and therefore the act of decision, the decision-making process itself, can be controlled or manipulated by a clear counterpart. So therefore the self can be controlled or manipulated indirectly. Because even though the self cannot be manipulated by a koyach, but since its decision-making ability is controlled by a koyach or has a koyach counterpart, you can get the self to do whatever the whatever God, in other words, whatever the the Rebunishim wants the self to do by merely influencing the koyach that represents the act of decision of that particular self. Therefore, let us take a look. Therefore at the process or the sequence of the action of the self, and this will help us uh, better understand this idea. The self perceives needs, or the self has needs, and it feels or experiences drives, and therefore thinks about what to do as a result of the fact that it experiences these drives. It decides in favor of a, spe of a specific direction toward the achievement of a, of a particular idea in response to its urges. The self decides, or it makes an act of decision about what to do. It has a want. That's the act of decision. And through the will, because the will is what connects the self to the brain or the body, through the will it fires up the brain neurons to initiate action in the body. The body, then, is the instrument and the intermediary between the self and its outer environment, namely the physical world. This, then, is a sequence or the process of action that the self goes through. The self experiences urges, experiences needs and drives. It then decides what it wants to do, so it acts. It decides what to do. The self, then, through the will, activates the neurons and fires the neurons in the brain and the brain of course activates the body the muscles in the body and of course the body then moves and the body then of course is directed by the self in the direction that the self wants it to go in order of course to uh, bring uh, fulfillment to what the self wants the goals or the objectives of self that which the self decided what it wanted to do in the first place we see that all entities, therefore, come under the control and influence of the koyachas. Since all things are connected to these koyach counterparts, the only thing not connected to a koyach is the self or nefesh But even though, but even though the self can be controlled, but even, but even the self rather can be controlled and influenced indirectly by a koyach, since its very act of decision does have a koyach counterpart and can thereby be compelled to pursue 
a determined direction, which is very important. We see, therefore, that ultimately speaking, the entire physical universe <coughs> has a clear counterpart and therefore can be compelled uh, in terms of its actions. All physical entities, <coughs> all life forms, everything has a clear counterpart. And if the Rebbe wants, he manipulates the Koyach counterpart through a Malach. And that physical entity, which is represented by that Koyach, must perform or must act in accordance with the change that happens in its mirror universe, in the universe of the Koyach. Now even a man <coughs> who, does not <coughs> who, rather, who is not connected to the Koyach, the self is not connected to a Koyach, it resides in Eilim Bria the same as the Koyach, Man himself or the self itself can be forced or compelled to act in accordance with the way God wants it to act because the Rabboni Shalom will control or manipulate through a malach the koyach that is the counterpart of the act of decision of that man. And therefore a man of course will be motivated, will decide to act in exactly the, in accordance with the way it's, it, the, uh, it's koyach, the koyach counterpart of the act of decision, the man will act in the exact way that this koyach was controlled or manipulated. It will act in the exact way that represents, in physical terms, the event which was initiated in its koyach. Therefore, a man, of course, will do exactly what the Rabbanu wants him to do. Uh, now, a man, of course, is not consciously aware if, he, if the koyach counterpart of his act of decision is manipulated through a malach in response to the will of God. He is not aware of this at all, and as far as he's concerned, he is the one that decides and voluntarily decides. He acts of his own accord. He has his own volition in order to act, and this is what he perceives. But the truth is, if the Rebbe wants, he can remove the volition that the self has, by manipulating the koyach of the act of decision through a malach, and therefore a man will, of course, act in accordance exactly in the direction that the Rabbanu wants him to act. Let me just explain something which I had mentioned previously. The self, or man, or the nefesh el does not have a koyach counterpart. Therefore, it cannot be influenced directly through a koyach. Of course, if the Rabbanu wants to influence it, he can do whatever he wants he will manipulate or influence the neshama itself by virtue of the fact that God is the existence of the neshama. But in terms of koyach manipulating the neshama, this does not occur because the neshama does not have a koyach. Now, it doesn't have a counterpart force. Therefore, the self or nefesh or man does not have a koyach counterpart. The physical body, of course, has a counterpart because it is part of the physical universe. The urges, the needs, drives of man also has a clear counterpart because it is part of the physical universe. The decision process, the act of deciding, which is a mental faculty, also has a clear counterpart. Therefore, it can be controlled through the clear. The will, the brain, the neurons, the body, and so on, all of these have Koyach counterparts because they're all physical. Therefore, they can all be controlled through the Koyach counterpart. 
but the self cannot. But I had mentioned that the self itself can be controlled because the koyach that represents its act of decision can be controlled by the malach. And that is the way the Rabbi Yishlam can control a man to do exactly what he wants him to do. Now, let me go further. We see, therefore, that there is a fundamental difference between man and all other physical entities, even living ones. All physical entities, even living ones, except man, are always controlled and manipulated totally in all their actions by the ashpos, the influences of their respective koiches, transcendental forces, via the malochim, the angels, who operate these koiches, or transcendental forces. <clears throat> Thus all living things from the highest and most complex forms, animals for instance, to the lowest and most simple form, one-celled animals and plant life, are always controlled in all their actions by their respective koiches. They never act on their own volition, but they must pursue the direction determined for them by the operating malochim who receive their orders or commands from the Rabbani Shalom himself. Man, however, is totally different. In other words, the entire physical universe except man, everything, even living forms except man, never act freely. Whatever they do, they are compelled to do. And the Rabbani Shalom, of course, commands and orders malochim and the malachim, of course, manipulate and control the koiches. And these gishomim, the entire physical universe, is consequently influenced and manipulated and controlled. And they must pursue the actions which, of course, uh, are directed to them by the, the, uh, the Rabbani Shalom. They have no free will. But that is the mechanism. That is how the Rabbani Shalom carries on what he wants to do with creation. The only thing that is different from all this is man. Man is a totally different uh, uh, relationship with this structure. The Rabbanishlam willed that man should be able to choose freely between good and evil. In other words, that man should do good and reject evil. Why? So he may be the true cause of the tikkun of the Bria, the rectification or the correction of creation. Thus the Tikkun Abriya, this rectification of creation and, and his or man's consequent meriting in, of Ilm Habo will be solely due to his actions and deeds. <coughs> Thus man will be, will be totally responsible for his state in Ilm Habo. But man must have free will or, a, or an uncompelled will in order to be a true cause and in order to be solely responsible for his status in Ilm Habo. If he does not have free will, of course, then what happens is that man did not cause this. Man is not responsible for the Tikkun of the Bria. So therefore, man experiences, as I had mentioned previously, Naamidik Sufo. Therefore, the Rabbi wants man to have free will so that he should be solely responsible for his status in Ilm Habo. Man should be a true cause. Therefore, man must be given free will. Now, what does free will mean? Free will means free decision-making. <clears throat> In other words, the act of decision must be free. It cannot be compelled. It cannot be manipulated by any koyach or force or any koyach counterpart.
He therefore made man independent of the controlling influence of the koiches. <clears throat> Thus, even though the act of decision has a koyach counterpart, and so man theoretically and potentially can be compelled and influenced to pursue a determined course of action, this control or influence by the koyach counterpart is really activated, thus allowing man an enormous amount of free, uncompelled will. In other words, man frequently uh, engages in the activity or the phenomenon of free will. Thus man or the self decides by himself what to do and is really interfered with by the koyak counterpart of the act of decision that exists in man himself. Man was thus given the authority and the power to influence the entire physical world and all its inhabitants in any, any manner his free will desires. Thus man is different from all other living species, including spiritual entities, since he is given true free will, which means unencumbered and uncontrolled will, or rather <coughs> unencumbered or uncontrolled decision-making by any koyach counterpart. And he has the ability to involve himself, therefore, with both perfection, which is shlemus or tikkun, perfection or correction, and he has the ability to involve himself, of course, with deficiency or kilkul, damage. Man is therefore a subject of action, an initiator of events, an active moving influence, and not something that is merely acted upon. All other entities are acted upon by their respective koichas. Only man is different. Man is not acted upon by his koyach, in other words, the koyach, which is the counterpart of his active decision, is mostly on vacation. It hardly ever is activated. It is activated at certain times, which we will see later, but it is mostly inactive. Man <clears throat> is able to do what he wants. He can decide and act based on his decision, and not based on the uh, manipulations and events that occur in his koyach counterpart, of his act of decision. In summary then, <clears throat> the self or man has needs and experiences and he experiences these drives, these needs and drives. The self in response to these urges or drives freely decides and chooses to pursue a course of action. Now the self through the mechanism of will fires up neurons which initiate action in the body. Man or self, through his body, engages and interfaces with the external or physical world to accomplish the goal that, is, that he himself freely decided to pursue. <clears throat> we therefore can say that man has a similar structure to the Rabban Islam <clears throat> that we presented before. The subject is self or man, in other words, he is the subject of action or the initiator events. Man has Bechira or free will or free decision, which is more accurate, and he decides the direction he wants to pursue. The self initiates an event in the external world through its body. In other words, the body is the intermediary or instrument of the self. And of course, the body is activated through man's will. Now, 
since the self can freely influence the physical world or gishamim, and since the physical world has counterparts among the koiches and is linked to them, it follows that self can control, manipulate, and influence the spiritual forces themselves by influencing and affecting, affecting their Geshem counterparts. Thus man can influence the forces themselves by influencing the physical counterparts of these forces. So it's interesting that a man can actually influence or control or manipulate <coughs> the Kuchus, the transcendental forces in the Bria. Because since he can effect, control or manipulate, since he has an influence on the physical world, physical entities, and can determine physical phenomena or events, he then influences the Koyach counterpart of the physical entity that he is interacting with. So therefore, man actually interfaces or influences the Koyach uh, counterpart of the physical entities that he is interacting with. When man influences and initiates action, then this is called Isarus Dilatato, because the event is initiated below. And of course, the direction of the Hashpo of the influence then is the Hashpo Milamato Lemailo. It is a lower initiation, and the Hashpo, of course, goes from below to on high. So we see, therefore, in this interesting parallel, <clears throat> that the self or man is the subject of the action or the initiator of the event. The body is his instrument or his intermediary. The immediate object of action is the Gishamim, the physical world that man interacts with. And the remote object of action are the Koichas counterparts. The counterparts of Gishamim. Which really is something which I said about the Rabbanishlam. That God is the subject. The intermediary or the instruments is the Malach. The immediate object which receives the action is the Koyach. And the remote object which receives the action is the Geshem counterpart. And now I'm saying the reverse. Man is the subject or initiate of the action. The goof is the instrument or the intermediary that he employs. The immediate re receptor, the immediate object of action is the physical world, the Gishamim. And the remote object of the action is the Koyach counterpart of this physical world that man interacts with. A very interesting parallel because we see that man and God are initiators or actually subjects of actions in, the, uh, in this dyadic structure. Thus reality contains two different subjects or subjects of actions or causes or two different initiators of events namely the Rabbani Shalom and the Self. All initiations of action sequence begin either on high from the Rabbani Shalom, and this is called Isarus Delielo, and Nashpo is directed from Milamailu Lamato, or from below, <coughs> from man. And that is called, called the Isarus Delatato, and the Hashpo is directed from Milamato Lamailo. <coughs> The actions of man and all entities in the physical universe 
when compelled by the Rabbanishlam from above, is Arusa Delielo, is called deterministic. And we say that determinism rules or governs the physical world. The actions of man, when produced with free will, free decision-making, and when it's not controlled by any Koyach counterpart, this action is called uh, indeterministic. And we say that indeterminism rules or govern man's. Now, is Arusa Delielo, or determinism, in other words, where the Rebbeinu Shalom causes the action, where he initiates the action. This Isarusa Delielo, or determinism, always governs or rules all entities and phenomena, whether that phenomena be natural or otherwise. It, uh, <clears throat> this determinism, or Isarusa Delielo, governs all entities and phenomena entirely, with the exception of man, who is applicable to either determinism or indeterminism. In other words, man himself causes action or initiates events. So we see, therefore, that the entire physical universe, everything in it, with the exception of man, every atom, every non-living entity, every molecule, every living entity, every living form is governed and ruled by the actions of God, which is transmitted to the malachim, which are transmitted, of course, to the koiches, which, of course, then sends the influence and control down to that physical entity. All physical entities, all physical phenomena and events are controlled by God, absolutely and totally. They have no free will. Even though to us it, it appears differently. When we look at an animal, it appears to us that an animal <clears throat> uh, has free will. It can operate or move within the system that it lives, its environment. But the truth is that it is compelled to move the way it does. And uh, all living species must move in accordance with the direction that Rabbi wants it to move. <clears throat> now, indeterminism, or is arusa dilatato, in other words, where the action is initiated from below by man, indeterminism or free will, and another word, for, of course, for free will is Bechira, is almost always the mode that man operates under in order to massacre creation and thereby be responsible for this taking. Man almost always has free will in most of the areas of his interaction with this world. So therefore he will be able to massacre creation freely and of course be responsible for this taken. He will have caused this taken, and therefore he will be worthy of having hatova, goodness, in Oilim Haba without any loss of self-respect. In other words, there will be a taken of Nahamadik Sufa. It is necessary to know, however, that man's deeds or acts are not all the result of his free will. In other words, his deeds or his acts are not always freely inspired. Man does not always have a free act of decision. While this is true of most of his acts, there are some acts of man which result from a divine decree to reward or punish him, or for other reasons to be discussed later. Sometimes man must move in certain directions. He is compelled. Therefore, as I had mentioned, the Rabbanishlam, of course, um, uh, 
compels this man to move in that direction via his clear counterpart. In other words, at that time, the Rabbanu compels man to assume a certain behavior and direction in, in terms of the direction that the Rabbanu wants this person to go. The Rabbanu compels man to assume that direction via the Koyach counterpart to his act of decision. Now, nevertheless, even in a compelled act, there are elements of the act itself that are determined by man's free will. And in those elements where he operates freely, man influences the koyach representing those ele elements. Thus, even in an act originating from Isarusa Delielo, where the Rabbanishlam is the subject or the cause or the initiator of the action, there can still be Isarusa Delatato in that very act where man is the subject, initiator, or the cause of the action as regards certain elements in that act. In other words, there are acts which are completely compelled on a man, whereby he must go in a certain direction. But there are many acts that even though a man is compelled to pursue, because that is the Ratzon HaBore, that is the direction that the Rabbanu wants this man to go in, even in those acts there are certain areas certain elements or components where man acts freely. So in other words, even though the general direction is compelled, still perhaps some of the elements, the ideas itself are determined by man. So therefore man has a lot of free will even perhaps in those acts which whereby he loses free will where he's compelled by the Rabbani Shalom. An example which you know, I can give is that if the Rabbanishim decrees that a man be, must become rich, so he is compelled to enter a certain business. Let's say a person want to enter, wants to uh, enter real estate and buy a building, and there is a decree that he means, must become rich at this point in time, for whatever reason, because obviously a wealth to him is now important in terms of the area that he has to massacre. So he now has to be given the circumstances of wealth, so therefore the Rabbanishim decrees that he must become wealthy. So Rabbanishim forces him to enter an area of business, for instance, let's say real estate. Um, whereas what he chooses to buy, the particular house that he wants to invest in, is his choice. Now what the Rabbanishim will do is that he will bless his investment to make him wealthy. For that is the Rabbanishim's decree that this man be rich. So in other words, even though his entrance into that particular business or livelihood is compelled, but not exactly which building he has to invest in and so on, what the Rabbanishim does is he allows man to act freely in choosing the, the details of the business, and the Rabbanishim will bring a blessing toward that particular direction that man wanted to go, and lo and behold, all of a sudden the building shoots up, and is worth four times the original amount he paid for it because all of a sudden there's a revival in the neighborhood for houses and so on. We see therefore that determinism and indeterminism can be in the same act itself. They can coexist in the same act itself. Now in summary then, we see the concept of what's called the dyadic structure of reality which means the twofold structure of reality. Reality consists of a physical world, Geshem, Gishomim, physical entities and processes or events. And reality consists of Koyach, 
transcendental forces which are counterparts to these gishomim. That is the dyadic structure of reality. Actually, it can be called a system because they interact with one another. They are dynamic. They interact. Therefore, we can call it the dyadic system rather than the dyadic structure. But in any case, there is Geshem and Koyach, and these, of course, are counterparts to one another. Also, what was important is that this counterpart, Koyach counterpart, and Geshem are linked together. So the physical universe and its mirror universe are really linked together or connected. And of course, an, another idea that I, that I had mentioned is that the relationship between Koyach and Geshem, force and material, substance, is that not only is each one the counterpart of one another, not only are they linked or connected, but the truth is that the koyach really is the producer, it is the generator, or it is the root of the geshem, of the material substance, that physical substance, or physical event. And the geshem, whether it be an entity or, or a, uh, a phenomena, is a derivative or a branch of that koyach. So that is the, the dyadic structure or dyadic system of reality. Geshem and its counterpart Koyach that are linked and the Geshem evolves or de is derived from its uh, corresponding Koyach. Now, also what I had mentioned is that each one can influence each other since they are connected and linked. There's a concept of Hashpah that a koyach can mashpia or control or influence the geshem, and the geshem, because it is linked to the koyach, can control or mashpia or influence the uh, koyach of force. Also, in addition, I had mentioned the concept of that this hashpor influence goes in two directions. It has a vector. There are two directions of this hashpor. And of course, the directions depend on the point of the, of the initiation of the event in the Koyach or the Geshem. Or, if you want to look at it as another way, the two directions of the Hashpor depend on the point of initiation of action by the subject. Either it's a Hashpor milamailulamato because of an Isarusa dilielo. In other words, the Hashpor is from above to below because the initial event or the initial action started from on high, or reverse. The hashpor is milamato lemailo, from below to on high, the influence is from below to on high, because the isarusa, <coughs> the initial event, is dilatato. The initial event began from below, and of course worked its way to on high. Or the subject of the action, namely man, began the influence here, and it worked its way to on high. Now, we also see that there are two possible subjects of initial action. Only two. No other entity, no other being in creation has this power to initiate action into the structure of reality or to initiate action into creation. Everything else is passive. It is moved. It is directed by an external force. The only two subjects of initial action is God and man or the self. Really a very incredible idea that nothing in creation, the hundreds of billions of entities in creation, cannot move by themselves. They must be acted upon. 
the only two beings that actually can move by themselves freely is man and God, or God and man. Now, also we saw that there are two kinds of intermediaries, or instruments, which are employed by these two subjects, namely God and man. One intermediary or instrument is the Malochim, which is the intermediary employed by the Rabbanishlam to effect the Koychis, the forces. And the second intermediary or instrument, which is used by the self or man, is of course his body. And on the body comes the, these ideas, namely, the active decision, the will, the uh, brain where the neurons are fired up, and of course the body itself the activation of the muscles. Those ideas are the body of man and self uses these uh, these concepts of course as its intermediaries or instruments. We also see that there are two objects of the actions of the subjects. In other words, the Rabbanu and man effect two different objects. One is that uh, one of the objects that can be affected is a koyach a transcendental force. Now this can be either an immediate object or a remote object. And the second object is Geshem, physical substance or phenomena. And this can also be an immediate object or a remote object. Now what determines if a Koyach or a Geshem is an immediate or remote object of the actions of the subjects, of course, is the Isarusa point. The point where the initial action took place. Now what is that? The Isarusa point determines what type of object it is. In other words, the Isarusa point, the initial point of the action of the subjects, determines if the Koyach or Geshem will be, in, will be either an immediate or remote object. If the Isarusa's Delielo, the initial event occurs or the initial action occurs on high, then the Koyach becomes the immediate object and the Geshem becomes the remote object. If, however, the Isarusa is dilatato, the initial action by the subject of man uh, it begins first, in other words, there's an Isarusa dilatato, then the Geshem becomes the immediate object and the Koyach becomes the remote object. That is sort of like a, 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 a succinct and short summary of many of the ideas that we had covered. And there are numerous ideas and it's important to get a good hold on the system, the dyadic system of reality itself. Because this will have great bearing on our understanding in terms of uh, 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 the area called Shinui Teva. When we examine what is Teva, what is Ness, what is Kishif, and these ideas, this, of course, the, this understanding of the dyadic structure is very important. Now, the Rabbani Shalom initiates or causes action via a divine hashpah, which of course is a spiritual causative force that contains both his will and sufficient power. In other words, this divine hashpah or spiritual causative force contains the will of God and it contains sufficient power which is transmitted to a malach, an angel, which of course beckons him or compels him to operate a particular koyach to bring about necessary interventions and outcomes in the physical world. This is called determinism or is arusa de lielo. 
Now, we may ask at this point, what determines the actions or conduct of God, whereby He initiates or causes action in the dyadic structure or system? What determines His actions? Why does God do what He does? Fascinating question. And obviously, the answer is among the most profound ideas that can be comprehended by man. What is the rationale or framework from which we can understand or comprehend why the Rabbanishlam intervenes in the physical world? Is there a framework? Is there a, a, a sort of like a structure, a group of ideas that can actually reveal to us and explain to us the actions of God, what determines them? Can it actually give us some kind of a rationale for his actions? What are his guidelines of action? which he voluntarily submits to and continuously adheres to. Now we know that nothing forces God to act. The Rebbeinu acts because he wants to act. That is his rotsun. But we can ask, what does God voluntarily submit to? What framework, what rationale, what guideline has he set for himself that he always adheres to this framework? And he always operates under those rules. The answer to this question, of course, uh, gives us the answer to many ideas, many events and phenomena which transpire in this world. Now, we know that the general answer to this question, why does God do what he does, is this simple statement. Is that every action that God does Every action that the Rabbani Shalom initiates is to further or to advance the purpose of creation. If it does not further the purpose of creation, then the Rabbani Shalom won't do it. It's that simple. The Rabbani Shalom acts under the law of parsimony, that he's very frugal. He only does what's in conformity with the purpose. If something is not in conformity of the purpose, God does not act. God does not, does not do. We experience no intervention by God in the physical universe at all. That's an interesting idea. But the Rebbeinu is very parsimonious about his acts. Maybe that says something about what we should be doing with our acts. But the Rebbeinu is clearly parsimonious, very frugal with his acts. If the act will advance and further the purpose of creation, then he'll do it. If it won't, he will refrain. It's that simple. Now, what is the purpose of creation? Hatov Shlemo. The of course, means the perfect good that the Rebbeinu wants man to receive. In other words, man has to receive an infinite, or be the recipient of, an infinite state of good without any interfering phenomena to diminish this state of infinite goodness. That's Hatov In other words, Hatov more concretely is Hasogas Yechudoi, the comprehension of the oneness of God, because that is the best possible goodness to comprehend God himself. Hasogas Yechudoi, the comprehension of the oneness of God, without any namodik sufa, without any sense of loss of self-respect or sense of embarrassment. Man has to experience this in Eilim So therefore, Hatova Shlema, or the perfect, absolute good, 
which is asogisichudu without any naomidik sufa, that is the purpose of creation. And the Rabbanishnum will act in accordance with that. Every act he does must be connected or must advance that purpose. If it does not advance the pur- if it does not advance that purpose, the Rabbanishnum refrains from that act. Now, everything the Rabbanishnum does, any action conforms to this general and ultimate purpose. In other words, we can say that Hatova Shlema for man determines the Rebbeinu Shalom's conduct or actions. That's a general answer. Can we somehow be more specific? Can we somehow subdivide or see the divisions of this answer? Can we say that the Rebbeinu Shalom's actions really can be grouped into different groups of actions? All three, all different groups, all advancing the purpose of creation. And the answer is yes. There are three specific systems of actions which are introduced into creation by the Rabbanu Shlam to advance this ultimate purpose. Three. The, the, the first idea is called System 1, or an Hagas I will explain them later. The second is System 2, which is an Hagas HaMishpat, and the third is system three, which of course is Anhogas HaYichud. Those are the three systems, the three Anhogas, Anhogas HaKiyum, Anhogas HaMishpot, and Anhogas HaYichud, that comprise the total acts of God, and all three sets of actions, which are performed by the Rabbani Shlom, all of them advance or further the purpose of creation, which is HaTov Shlema to mankind in Ilum Habo. Now, let me now go into each one. Now, system one, which is Hanhogas Hakiyum. What is the definition for Hanhogas Hakiyum? Hanhogas Hakiyum are actions, or those set of actions, that achieve the fulfillment of the ultimate purpose. That's Hanhogas Hakiyum. Those particular set of actions that actually bring to fruition the ultimate purpose. Now, in this Hanhoga, in this set of particular actions, there are two objectives. The first objective is that this Hanhoga, or the actions of God, as it subscribes to this Hanhoga, this, this uh, uh, f- uh, particular uh, rationale, seeks to arrange order or structure the physical universe with just the necessary conditions and circumstances that will fulfill the purpose. All objects, all entities, all beings, all events and phenomena, the boundaries and limitations of these entities, the natural law that establishes their behavior, their peculiar characteristics, attributes, properties, In other words, everything that exists or can exist in the physical universe is the outcome of the set of actions called Hanhogasakim. Why? Because a universe which is inhabited only by by all these particular concepts will achieve the intended purpose that the Rebbeinu desires. In other words, everything that you see, every object, every entity, their characteristics and attributes, the way they look, the number they have, uh, 
the natural laws that they behave under. Everything exists because the universe must have them in order for the purpose of creation to be advanced. Thus, this Hanhoga is the determining principle for all physical reality. And as I said, it determines what is, the characteristics, the attributes, the property. It determines how it is, the behavior, and also, and also how it interacts with other entities. <clears throat> so we see Hanhogas Hakim, those particular set of actions that the Rabbanu Shalom initiates to bring about all the necessary ingredients that the physical universe must have in order to advance creation come under the heading of Hanhogas Hakim, because it is the Hanhoga of Kim. It is the set of particular actions, the Anhoga, of Kiyom, that enable the fulfillment, Kiyom, the fulfillment of the purpose to be realized. That's Anhoga Sakiyom. Now this Anhoga is deterministic. In other words, it's Isarus Delielo, that God initiates these actions from on high. And of course the Hashpo, the influence, is directed and transmitted from above to below. The taken of the Bria, the rectification of creation, can be achieved by this kind of physical universe best. That is the first objective of Anhogas Akim, is that the entire universe, everything in it, is there because it can further and advance the purpose best. Therefore, God initiates actions which bring about those conditions and circumstances which are necessary to advance purpose. So the Anhogas Hakim explains the entire universe, the entire physical universe. Now, the second objective of this Anhogas, that was the first objective of the Anhogas Hakim. The second objective of the Anhogas Hakim is that it compels man. In other words, there is a set of particular actions which God initiates that compels man to navigate and interact with this particular physical world to bring about a tikkun to this world, a rectification to this world. That, is called, that of course, is called tikkun akloli, the general uh, uh, rectification or restoration. Because the, actually, what is the tikkun akloli? That, the, uh, that it is man's task to restore the divine presence to creation the Shekhinah, the glory of God, in a completely and a completed and total revelation. That's what Tikkun HaKloli really is. That the divine presence or the glory of God, the Shekhinah, returns to the creation. And is, it is able to be perceived by all entities in that, in that creation clearly and without any obstruction. That's the Tikkun of the Bria. And uh, when man achieves this, of course, that is the introduction, of course, of Olam Habo. And this tikkun of the Bria, this tikkun, this rectification or restoration or fixing of creation is called tikkun akloli, the general or the, uh, the uh, ultimate rectification. Now, as I said, that the second objective of this Anhoga is that the Rabbanishim compels man to navigate, to interact with this particular physical world in order that man should bring about a tikkun to this world. Now, the circumstances and condition man finds himself in, his needs, his drives, his psychological makeup, 
the trials or the nisyenos he encounters all are determined by this Hanhogo because all these concepts are absolutely necessary to bring about the purpose of creation. In other words, these concepts enable man to masakin his particular area and thereby to receive hatova shlema in Oilim Habo. These concepts also enable all men to collectively masakin creation, of course, tikkun akloli, which is a complete or general rectification, thereby establishing a community receiving hatova shlema in Oilim Habo. So we see that there are two objectives to the Anhogah of Kiyum, Anhogah Sakiyum. That the Anhogah Sakiyum simply means those actions, those particular set of actions which the Rabbani Shalom initiates or causes in order to set a stage for creation, to set a stage for the realization of Tikkun Akloli or of Hatov Shlema in Oilam Habo. That's the whole point of Anhogah Sakiyum. And thereby, and what it does as a result, is it sets the stage itself, it creates the entire environment of man, and also it forces man to interact with the world in certain circumstances, certain states, so that he may massacre in different areas that he has to massacre. We can say that the first objective of the Hanhoga creates man's environment, and the second objective of the Anhoga determines the interfacing that man has with this environment to bring about and accomplish the necessary tikkun or rectification of creation. This is Anhoga Sakiyam, where these are actions which God initiates or causes, which creates an entire universal structure, and all the entities and the phenomena that exist in that universal structure, and all of these are necessary in order to allow man to bring about a tikkun to creation. And we see the second objective is man himself, that man is compelled to go through this structure, through this environment, through this external world, in order to bring a tikkun to different areas. Therefore, he is forced to enter certain, cer certain circumstances that he may be tested, withstand the temptation, and thereby bring a tikkun to creation. That's man's purpose. So, the, the circumstances or the set of creation is the first objective of the Anhogo of Kiyum, and the second objective, of course, is the, in, in the interfacing that man has between uh, himself and the world in order to negotiate the world, navigate the world, to receive Nisyenus, to withstand the Nisyenus, and thereby massacre creation. These are the two objectives of what's called the Hanhogas Hakiyum. Now, the second system, or system two, is what's called Anhogas HaMishpat. And what Anhogas HaMishpat is, is that those set of actions by the Rabbani Shalom, which are in consequence to the acts or the maizim of man, to either reward or punish man, that is Anhogas HaMishpat. In other words, those actions by the Rabbani Shlalem, which arise or are the outcome of man's actions, are called Hanhogas Hamishpat. Actions which are in response to judgment proceedings concerning man.